you have your Bibles, turn to Acts chapter 3. In just a minute, I'm going to be reading verse 21, and then I'll be flipping back to the last book of the Old Testament, the book of Malachi. And it is Father's Day, and I'm going to be speaking on what I've called our lesson this morning, the restoration of spiritual fathers. The restoration of spiritual fathers. Uh, I want to take time, because we're talking about dads and fathers in our life today, to begin to speak on what it means to have a, a spiritual dad or a spiritual father. And I, I'm not just meaning dads who are being spiritual, although that's certainly an outgrowth of all of that. You, you can't be a spiritual father unless you're a father who is spiritual. But, but I, I believe all of this can begin to sort of segue or dovetail together in order that everyone in the room this morning, whether you're a man, a father, a woman, a mother, that I think all of us can begin to see some precepts that will begin to be applicable to our life. And so everybody needs to stay in tune and uh, begin to listen to what God might want to say to us with regards to our place in mentoring and helping raise up uh, the next generation. Acts 3.21, there's a great verse in there in the middle of Peter's message. He says this, Concerning Jesus Christ, he says, whom heaven must receive, he was talking about Christ's ascension in verse 21, until he says the times or the period of restoration. He says, so the Lord is going to be seated at the right hand of God the Father, which he is right now. And he says he's going to remain there until a period of restoration comes to pass in the earth. He says it will be a restoration of all things, which God has spoken by the mouth of all his prophets since the world began. So he says, Peter does, that right now Jesus, as he's seated at the right hand of God the Father, is waiting for a particular time period to take place on the earth that will be noted for a great restoration that's going to take place. A restoration of all things, he says, spoken of by the prophets. Now, you've heard me say this a hundred thousand times, what does all mean? All. all, it sure does. All means all. So everything the prophets have spoken of or prophesied, we're going to see these things be restored in the life of God's people, the church, the body at large, obviously the kingdom as it's reflected here on earth. Now, one of those things, just one of the things that are going to be restored and that whole concept is found in the book of Malachi. The last book of the Old Testament should be easy to find. Malachi chapter 4. Don't worry, we're not talking about tithing. We skipped chapter 3. We're going to chapter 4. Malachi 4, the last few verses, verse 5 and 6. The last thing. Now, first of all, I want you to kind of get this in your system. That these verses will be the last thing God says for over 400 years until he sends Jesus into the earth. So these will be the last things he's going to say to his people for 400 years. Now, if, if you knew, and God obviously would know, that if he were going to say something that was going to have to stick or be of emphasis or last for centuries, I would think those words to be important. These are the last things he's going to say. Malachi 4, verse 5, he says, Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet. Now, he's not literally speaking about a reincarnation of Elijah, but he's saying there's going to be a prophetic spirit that's going to be released in the earth. Amen. You think I'm tough? Get wait. He's restoring the prophets. He's going to restore the spirit of Elijah before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. And this is what the prophets will begin to declare. It says that he will turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the hearts of the children to their fathers, lest I come and strike the earth with a curse. Malachi states that, that there's going to be a, a raising up of the prophets or a raising up of that prophetic spirit. It's going to come in these last days, he says, to restore the proper place of the father's heart towards their children and their children towards their fathers. Now, I believe this can be applied on several different levels and all of that is valid. I, I believe that both naturally and spiritually, people are going to begin 
to look for spiritual parents. They're going to, they're going to begin to be on a search for who it is that's going to be a, a father, a spiritual father, or even a spiritual mother in their life. You know, the Bible not only talks about spiritual dads, but it talks about mothers in Israel. And, and so there's an appropriate place for what we might call mentoring or spiritual parenthood. Now, this is so critical, I want you to get this, it is so critical that God himself says that if it does not happen, if this does not come to pass, he will strike the land with a curse. Now think about that for just a minute. The Lord himself says that if, that if this dynamic does not begin to happen in the hearts of children to fathers and fathers to children, if this dynamic does not happen, he says there's going to be a curse that's going to be opened up in the earth. Now that's significant. And so we need to get a hold of this. Now I understand the, the world is darkened, it doesn't get it, it doesn't understand a lot of spiritual things. But if it ever is going to get it, it has to begin to see it in us first. First the natural, then the spiritual. If people don't get spiritual precept, one of the keys to helping them get it is to see it work and applied in our lives. And so we need to get this concept. Now, why is it so important? The reason this concept is so important is because the kingdom of God and even the church, the church is just an aspect of the kingdom of God, but the kingdom of God is not so much an organization. Now, whenever it comes to the kingdom or even church, there are aspects of administration. I won't deny that. Every entity that has any type of organization to it's going to have some administration to it you've got to administer certain things you've got to organize you've got to set it up you've got the plan you've got the calendar all of these things have their place but you need to get it in your system that the kingdom and even the church is not so much an organization but the bible consistently compares it to a family the bible consistently compares it to a family and ultimately, the church is not built on CEOs and corporate precepts. But the church will be built on fathers and mothers and on sons and daughters. That's how the kingdom of God works. That's how God reveals himself to us. Is it not true? God does not come and reveal himself as this great Donald Trump in the sky. Does he? He's not this sophisticated chief executive officer somehow up in the heavenlies. God does not reveal himself that way to us. He reveals himself as a father. He sent to us his son. As he begins to reveal his, his nature to us, it always comes by way of family. Now, we sort of understand how all of this works in the natural and in the biological sense of how each of us here today, no matter what type of household you grew up in, no matter what type of atmosphere or home you might describe it to be, all of us came into this world with a father and a mother. And, and we know that, that we needed them, at least in our, in our infant days and in our growing up days, in order to help grow us up, so to speak, in order that we could finally become adults. But the key that we need to understand is, is that in this precept, God also says that there must be the spiritual aspects of this as well. There has to be a, a spiritual family, a spiritual parenting, because we have to grow up in the things of God. Amen? Now, let me just share with you how most people are raised up spiritually. And, and we'll begin to make some natural applications as well. Now, remember, you've got to think on about three different planes for just a minute. Some of you here are natural biological dads. You have children, and uh, you have either raised them up or are raising them up. And so you're wanting to input their life and hopefully help them and uh, be a good dad towards them. But not only are you called to be a biological dad, but you're called to be a spiritual dad as well. And, and that means first with your own household or your own children, your biological children. But can I just share with you, we need spiritual dads that will take on children in the Lord that they will begin to expand their influence to others and help them understand the things of the kingdom. So let me just share with you how most people are raised up spiritually. The first we'll call the orphan. The orphan. Now, everyone knows what an orphan is in the natural. An orphan is a child that does not have parents or their parents have given up on them. 
Now, spiritually speaking, an orphan are people who may be born again, but there's no structure in their life. There's no discipline in their life. There's no input in their life, no authority in their life, no encouragement in their life. They are on their own. They've been orphaned. Now, you may know an orphan. Maybe there are people here that, that naturally, you, maybe you grew up in an orphanage. But spiritually speaking, there are many orphans within the life of the church. I'll just quote Billy Graham, you know, bless his heart, his wife just passed away this week. And so remember to pray for Billy Graham. He's sort of like America's pastor and evangelist. We all know who Billy Graham is. So remember to pray for him as he uh, suffers the loss of his wife. And it was touching to listen to his words. But even Billy Graham said these words concerning his great outreaches and his great mass evangelistic campaigns. Billy Graham himself said that only 2% of the people who walked down the aisles in those great stadiums and made a confession or a decision for Jesus Christ, this is his words, only 2% of them ever made a real, true, lasting connection in the life of the local church or even with the Lord himself. And it was one of the great frustrations I know in Billy Graham's life was how he always wanted to, to find a better way to connect people so they wouldn't just make decisions and be orphans, but they'd make decisions and get connected. It's the orphan. Then there's the second group. The second group we'll call the latchkey kids. The latchkey kids are a little bit different. There's a little structure provided or even a little direction. But basically, as... Maybe mom and dad have to work or do whatever they need to do. They're basically left to raise themselves up. They're basically still fairly independent. And there's even more of these type of kids. In fact, in its, in its probably most negligent phase, it's allowing the kids to determine what they need themselves in order to grow themselves up. Have you ever watched in the natural parents with children who have decided that their five-year-old pretty much understands what he needs himself, pretty much what they need to do, and they sort of just raise themselves up. They never think about what they watch, what they read. They never think about their diet or what they need to eat. I mean, they just feed them junk, let them watch junk, just live life. I I'm always amazed at how parents are so reluctant at times to be, to be involved in their kids' lives. I, I, I mean, I've, I've watched parents with young teenagers say to me, well, you know, their room is just a private place and I never go into their room. You are foolish. If I pay the house payment, every inch of that house is mine. It's mine. Your phone's mine. Your TV's mine. The cable's mine. It's all mine. If you want to be free, go buy your freedom. Are you with me? Now, I know that's just foreign to some people. So we, we got to understand that, that there's, there's this latchkey idea. We're going to let them raise themselves. And in the life even of the church, this is really interesting. Because people will get born again or they'll make decisions for the Lord. And then we kind of look at them and say, raise yourself up. What do you want to do? What do you think? Can you imagine generating doctrine that way? Somebody that just got born again out of their cocaine, addictive, crazy, wayward habits. Well, what do you think? Well, like, right, two minutes in the kingdom and they've got everything they need. No, they're, they're spiritually infants, but at times we let them raise themselves up. You raise yourself up. Well, to me, we're just raising up a latchkey kid. And God's intention was never that his kids... Now listen to me. His children, God's children, are all those who are born again or have been saved. Can we agree on that? Those are God's kids. And it was never his intention that his kids be spiritually parentless. That was never his intention. Now, if you don't believe me, I'll even read a Bible verse here. 1 Corinthians chapter 4. Yes, I'm, I'm, I'm going to make you read the Bible and let you see in the Bible that it actually is in there. 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 14 and 15. Listen to what Paul writes. Paul says, 1 Corinthians 4, 14, he says, I do not write these things to shame you. Now, understand, he's zipping the Corinthian church. They've got the gifts of the Spirit cooking. I mean, they're prophesying left and right. They've got, they've got gifts happening. And they've got all sorts of power. And they've got liberty. And, and they've just got a really high energy place. 
happening there at Corinth. But he says a couple things to him. He says, number one is, you're carnal and you're acting like babies, despite the fact you can function in gifts. Maybe this would be a good place to say to you, just because a person has a gift doesn't mean they're mature. In fact, just because a person has a gift doesn't mean they understand everything they need to understand. You can be very gifted and be clueless. But he says, I do not write these things to shame you, but as my, my, everyone say my. my. Now, see, this is Paul. As my beloved children, I'm going to warn you. Can you believe that? Verse 15, for though you might have 10,000 instructors or teachers in Christ, yet you do not have many fathers. For in Christ Jesus, I have begotten you through the gospel. So Paul says this, Paul says that, that I've ministered to you. He says to the Corinthians, I led many of you to the Lord. He said, I'd spiritually input your life. And I've become, this is what Paul says, I have become as a parent to you, as a, as a dad to you. And he goes on to say, he says, the world and the church doesn't need more teachers. He says, we've got 10,000 teachers. How many of you know right now, you can go to Barnes & Noble, you can go over to Publix and look at the book stand. You can turn on television and we can get taught to death. You can get teaching anywhere. You can hit the internet and you can download instruction and teaching and, and let me just say this, God bless teachers. We're not diminishing the place of teachers in our life. But I'll bet if you'd even ask those who teach children now in schools in the natural, I'll bet that if you ask those teachers, what they might say to you is, I don't know that we need more teachers. It'd be great if we just got some parents involved in what was going on. I've heard that from teachers. And Paul says we've got 10,000 teachers but we need some more parents. We need some more dads. Think about this naturally. How, how much better would we educate? How much would crime go down? How many societal challenges would be fixed if we actually had parents that would input their children's life? Why would we think that would be any different concerning spiritual things? It's interesting. I, I started just to think about a dad or a father and kind of the place a father might have in a family and um, this is this is not necessarily it's not a criticism it's it's not an endorsement I mean different different men grow up in different ways and I know for some of you uh, you know you're sportsmen you hunt you fish you might know how to work on a car you might know how to work on a house you're handy around the house you're you, you've got these particular skills and it's interesting that if we were to talk to you and ask where you developed all those skills and you really thought about it, for many of you, you would say that it was your dad or it was your father who began to teach you how to hunt, to teach you how to fish, to teach you how to be handy. Now, I realize not everyone has those skills, but for a lot of us dads, whatever skills we have, we endeavor to transfer those skills down to our children so that they can become handy or they can pick up those particular traits from us as well. And, and in that teaching or in that time spent, uh, we would call that mentoring. In other words, for some of you, you were mentored in sportsmanship. You were mentored in, 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 in hunting. You were mentored in fishing. You were mentored in, in mechanics. You were mentored in construction. You were mentored in all sorts of things in order that now, even as a very young man... You have these skills that perhaps it took your dad decades to begin to develop. Now, isn't that a cool thing? If at age 20, you can be a proficient, a fisherman, hunter, construction worker, you know, whatever it is. Wouldn't it be cool at 20 to be as proficient as your dad is at 60? Wouldn't that be a good thing? And think of all those years that you could enjoy even honing your skills even more. And then think of what you could do if you turned it around and then inputted your kid. Well, why do we think it's not to work that way spiritually? Why do we think that somehow or another there's a timeout or an exception to this particular rule? I believe scripturally that we need that spiritual transmission to begin to take place, to begin to mentor sons and to begin to mentor daughters, to begin to see mothers in Israel and dads in the house to begin to arise and begin to mentor certain things that will help our children become more spiritually 
proficient sooner than perhaps we were. Can we say amen? Hey, listen, if you can keep your kids from falling in a ditch that you fell in a dozen times and you can keep them out of that ditch, I would think that to be a good thing. But we've got to have moms and we've got to have dads. Now, as I was thinking about this, I thought, well, why do we resist this in America? Because, you know, if you'll go to second world countries, third world countries, it's amazing to me how different Christianity works in other areas of the world. In fact, in these particular areas, it seems as if that's sort of standard understanding. Only in America do we struggle and we resist the idea somehow that, that some form of mentoring or parenting needs to take place with regards to our spiritual life. And, and I thought, why would that be? And I just, I just started to dwell on it and think about why some of those reasons might be. And I just came up with a couple. Number one is, I think we, we resist that. It's because we have been wounded by our parents or by authority figures in our life. I mean, as teenagers, think about this. I'm talking to some of you young people right now. Think about this. How many times have you said recently, and how many times those of us who are older said it when we were their age, I can't wait to get out of this place. I mean, my folks, they're clueless. I'm so done with this. I so want out of here. I can't wait. I can't wait till I'm 18 or 21 or 35 or however old you are. I can't wait. To get out from under this, this, this crazy dad or crazy mom. Or, and, and let me, can I just say sometimes, and I'll be honest with you, sometimes they're legitimate. Hear me, moms and dads, sometimes those kids are probably legitimate because there's, there's dysfunctionality and craziness that we need to address. But sometimes it's just, it's just them wanting them wanting out. I just, I want my freedom. I want my independence. I don't want anybody telling me what I can and cannot do. I want out. And we need to understand that that's why it's so important for us to get people healed and whole at the cross. Do you understand that you can't relate to God right as a father until you're healed and you're whole at the cross? A lot of God ideas are crazy and the reason they are is because we've got these particular wounds going on. And unless you get healed from these father wounds or these mother wounds, you'll have difficulty, first off, relating to God as the ultimate father in your life, much less a mentor of some sort. Can you imagine if we grew up in dysfunctionality and we had some crazy, some crazy scenario that we had to grow up in? And, and unfortunately, some of, you, some of you ladies perhaps have grown up with dads that were abusive and and, and cause trauma in your life and how difficult it is to be even think about having a, a father figure in your life because the one you had didn't do so hot. And what happens is, is that Satan wants to keep us wounded. He wants to keep our eyes covered. He wants us to somehow react to this whole concept. And as long as he can keep those wounds fresh inside of us, he ostensibly can cut off the very thing we need that will keep us orphaned or latchkeyed for our whole life. And so consequently, listen, what happens is every generation starts all over again. Every generation, they just start over and over. And, and as the body, as the church, as the people of God, we never, we never make any forward progress because we're always starting, we're relearning old lessons. We're relearning what our parents had to learn. We're relearning everything. And so we never are able to press forward. And he keeps us out of our destiny. So we've got to be healed. Number two, I'm a Protestant. You, you may not have Protestant religious background. I am. And sometimes as Protestants, I think we react to the concept of father. Now that's not to say Catholics don't as well. But because it sounds Catholic and because Catholics will call their pastor or their priest father, it sounds like and, and I understand Catholic doctrine, and I'm not here to be critical of Catholic doctrine. I'm just here to say that it sounds like, somehow or another, we need some mediator between me and Jesus. It sounds like we need to go through someone in order to get to Jesus. Well, let me just say right off the bat, no, I don't think you need anyone to get to Jesus. You can get to Jesus. I'll just be clear of that. I believe that there is a priesthood of all believers, and you can access God for yourself. But here... Here's the thing you need to realize, that God has set up 
his kingdom as a family and he puts parents in our lives, not that we go through them as much as they help us, input us, speak to us, encourage us, admonish us, rebuke us, exhort us in the things of God so that we might get to him easier and better. Are you with me? Had people through the years quote to me that verse in Matthew 23 and 9 where Jesus said, you know, call no man father. Well, you know, he also says in these same verses, if you read here, don't call anybody rabbi. Don't call anybody teacher. Isn't that interesting? If we're not to call anybody father, how many of you know that we, we sin on a fairly regular basis whenever we... We'll all sin probably today as we call up our dads and say, happy, happy Father's Day. You're my father. Are you with me? I mean, I mean, think about this. How many times have you called your dad father? And if that's what that verse means, you've just sinned. Well, obviously, that's not what he's trying to communicate there. What he's trying to communicate here is getting wound up in titles and positions. You know, behind every, every corruption or every counterfeit, there's a reality somewhere. And Paul said, yeah, they're spiritual dads. He said, I'm a dad in the Lord. There, I have sons and daughters in the Lord. But as Protestants, we just kind of react, you know, before we just read the whole counsel of God. And I think, I think we need to relax for just a minute and begin to attempt to hear what God may be saying in regards to this and get the proper understanding. And then number three, I, I, I just personally believe the reason we resist it is because I don't think in America we value the place of age or experience as a culture. I, I just think we're entering into an era, this is just my opinion, this is thus saith Kevin, you can take it for what it is, but because we've diminished our respect for life at its earliest inception, we are now beginning to disrespect life at its latest moments. Because it's so easy for us to throw away kids, even as they're unborn. It's becoming easier out of those philosophical arguments to begin to look at the aged and say, maybe it's time for them to just move on as well. And that's why, that's why right now Dr. Kevorkian can get 100K a speech because he sent people off early. Now, <clears throat> I'm not opening up the can for euthanasia and all the rest, but I can tell you as a culture, we do not in any way, shape, or form value age or value experience like they do in other cultures. It is esteemed in other cultures. In our culture, everything is about youth and looking young. Otherwise, we all, you know, wouldn't have Dr. 90210 and, you know, do you understand the greatest new medical happenings in people's lives are getting sculpted and fixed and adjusted and enhanced and reduced and, you know, sucked out and replaced and do you understand that's all happening? Why is that? Because we all want to keep youth as long as possible. I mean, I mean, it's amazing to me. You can look at some people now and it looks, it looks like they're in a constant windstorm. Well, why is that? It's because they know they won't be valued if they didn't look that way. We've got to break out of this American mentality. Do you understand that we are citizens of the kingdom first? And then we're citizens of our nation. I'm as patriotic as anyone. Pretty conservative, as a matter of fact. But we are citizens of the kingdom first. And if I'm a good citizen of the kingdom, then I can make the best citizen in America. So what can we begin to do? Let's, what can we begin to implement or add or understand? Well, let me give you a description of a true father. Now, I think this can apply probably in some ways to moms. Everybody needs to listen because there's going to come a time you're going to mentor or be looked at as a mentor. Whether we like it or not, people are watching how we walk, watching what we do, watching what we say, watching how we do spiritual things, and we just need to intentionalize some of these things more than they're happening. So what's a description of a true father? Let me go through this fairly rapidly this morning. Number one, a true father has a covenant with their kids. They have a covenant with their kids. Now, this is how we would say it in the natural. You may be able to make a baby, but making a baby isn't the same as parenting a baby. We got, we got people making babies. They need to get involved and be a parent of that child. So it is with, 
regards to spiritual things as well. I mean, I'll just be honest with you. I know because we've taught this and it's developed and it's in proper perspective. But I know that many of you here today, I have, I have maybe led you to the Lord, input your life spiritually in, in, in a great number of ways. And if you were asked if you had a spiritual parent, you might say, well, you know, I would view pastor as a spiritual dad sort of in my life. And I want you to know something, and the reason I say this isn't in any way to cause you to feel shaky, it's just a human thing. There have been moments that that discouragement has come, or there have been moments that difficulty has arisen, and and there have been these thoughts in my mind that have come, you know what, I don't want to do this anymore, I don't like doing this, I don't like listening to people, yeah, yeah, I don't want the whining, I don't want the complaining, nobody gets it, understands it, and you go through all of those kind of things in your mind until you finally want to quit. You say, I'm through with it, I'm done with it. And you might say, well, why didn't you do that? It's because a dad has a covenant with his kids. There's something in your heart that arises that says, I cannot leave them orphanless. I can't do it. Now, some of you might want me to leave you orphanless, but I'm not going to leave you orphanless. You have a covenant with your kids. You can't birth things in people and then just let them kind of figure it out or latch key them along. You gotta have, you gotta have a covenant with your kids. And here's the thing I'm learning. My parents had a covenant with me and I remember when I got in those years that I didn't want anything to do with them, their covenant has been stronger with me than at times mine has been with them. I didn't realize that. I just started thinking about that the other day. But you know what? There needs to be this, this two-way street. There's this, there's this covenantal concept, and it's important. And uh, a true dad has a covenant with his kids. You just can't walk away from your kids. You can't do that in the natural or in the spiritual. You just can't walk away. It's, it shouldn't be an easy thing to do. Number two, this is really revelational. They are not mothers. Isn't that revelational? A dad is not a mom. Moms have a certain uh, anointing and ability, a calling that they bring to a house. But dads have a unique calling, anointing, and aspect to the house. I've always found out that dads usually carry, at least in them, the justice thing. Have you ever heard this or said this in your house? You wait until dad gets home. When dad gets home... It's over. That's amazing. It's, it's amazing to me how you can just say, I'm going to talk to dad, moms, and all of a sudden things start to move and change and shift. It's because there's some aspect of a dad or a father that can bring justice to the house well. I was watching Good Morning America the other day, and they had a program on dads and the critical place that dads had in the house. And, and, and it was amazing. We, I was watching it with Trace, and we were just talking as this program was going on. And, and they, they gave all these principles of being a mom and being a dad in the house. And we looked at each other and said, how about that? The Bible's been around 2,000 years, and now somebody's written a book that has just, you know, elucidated biblical principles. And, of course, they'll make hundreds and thousands of dollars on it, but the Bible has had it around for years. So they're not moms. They're dads. Number three, a true father disciplines their kids. I could put moms in here as well. You know, we use the term in America, friend. Y'all have friends? Two of you have friends, all right. Good, okay, three, four of you, okay. That's good to know, that's good to know. You know, the word friend is a lot like the word love. You know, the word love, we use the word love for everything. I love my wife, I love my kids, I love my dog. I love my goats. I love HGTV. I love ESPN. I love ice cream. I love pizza. Isn't that, isn't that interesting how we'll use the same word for all these things? And, and I'm hoping that somehow your, your, your spouse, your love for your spouse is different than your love for ESPN or HGTV. And I think most of you would say, well, yeah, yeah, you know, you know what I mean, though. Uh, okay, maybe. Friend is kind of the same word. 
I'm friends, you know, we got friends with everybody. We're, we're friends with someone we just made an acquaintance with, and we've got friends at church and friends next door, and we never really define, do we? we, we I had to do a message, I think I did one years ago, about defining friendships. And we really don't define what we mean by, by friend. But this is, the, this is the point I'm trying to make here. And that is that when it comes to parenting, God hasn't called us necessarily to be friends with kids. Now, I want to be friendly. For instance, my, my son is, Clayton's here, and he's married, he's older, and, and our relationship is changing because he's becoming a man in his own right and all the responsibilities that he has to now walk out and do. And so our relationship naturally changes because just of the growth process and all the things that take place. Now, I still want to be a friend. I want to be on friendly terms with him and, and all those kind of things. But, but, but the point is, is that I'm always going to be dad and he's always going to be son. And while there are things that will change and adjust as we grow up, we need to understand that while we can be friendly, there's still going to be a, a parent-kid type relationship in some particular areas. I say this to you, particularly in the biological sense, that right now, particularly those of you that have young children, they don't need you as a friend. Amen. I really, I don't care whether you like this one or not. They don't need a friend, they need a parent. They, they, they need mentoring, they need input. You aren't here... Don't worry about will they be your best buddy years from now. They don't need a best buddy. They, they need a mom and they need a dad. And, and you're going to need to learn that they need discipline. And a friend doesn't discipline. I understand that. But a parent can discipline. You can correct. In fact, I've learned this. That you can't disciple a person until they are broken. I'm, you cannot... God can't even disciple a person until they're broken. I've come to learn this. Until you're broken and you become teachable and you humble yourself, I'll guarantee your kids will be unteachable until the moment comes, something takes place, maybe just a little on the button. It's amazing what happens when there's a breaking that can happen and they become teachable. I'm always amazed how when you take away something of great value, they all of a sudden become very teachable because they become humble and broken. You can't parent and you can't disciple unless someone becomes broken. And if you can look into the eyes of an unbroken person, you might as well just salute them and say, have a nice life. Because something's got to happen in your life for you to crack open your wise in your own eyes attitude so you can begin to get input by true spiritual wisdom. And dads sometimes discipline their kids. Number four, dads are the foundation of the house. Now, God bless all the moms who hold their homes together. Because God knows, probably statistically, there are more moms that hold the house together than dads. I can tell you in the life of the church, there have been far more women who have kept the church doors open and operating than the guys. To our chagrin, guys. I can't tell you, if we were to scan across America today, that it would be the women that are interceding. It would be the women that are believing. It would be the women that are consistent in the home. Let me tell you something, guys. We've got to arise and become the foundation and become the strength of the house. God likes using men who are strong spiritually. A father, fathers can bring stability to that foundation in the house. So guys, we need to make sure we can become that foundation. Number five, a true dad helps kids find their place in life. A spiritual dad helps give guidance and direction to their sons and to their daughters. His heart would be getting them pointed in the right direction, helping them attain their dreams and helping them fulfill their particular visions. I mean, that's what a, 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 an appropriate spiritual dad, even a mom, would do. Number six, a spiritual dad would prepare sons to be a father. For better or worse, most of us got our parenting by watching our parents. I learned, for instance, to be a pastor by watching those that pastored around me. Now, and sometimes that was good, sometimes that wasn't so good. But we get something from that whether we realize it or not. And whether you're a dad in the natural or whether God's raising you up to be a spiritual dad, you are teaching the next generation of fathers how it should be done. Boy, that, that ought to put the fear of God in us. To think that I, I'm going to reproduce who I am. 
In fact, Clay can tell you, I've already told him, I looked him in the eye and I, I said, son, I'm just here to tell you, don't learn everything from dad that I taught. Please don't do that. I said it to him at his wedding, I'll say it to him again now. Son, don't do everything your old dad did. Because dad had brain cramps every now and then. It ought to put the fear of God in us, thinking that there are actually people who might be mimicking us or learning from us what we need to be doing as fathers. And then number seven, I believe a true spiritual dad brings validation that only a father can bring. There, there is no better validation a person can get than a validation from their dad. Dads, if, this is again, if you have natural kids, you, you, ought to, you ought to plan it out a couple times a week to find some way to affirm your children. To say, I love you, I'm proud of you, you're doing great, I'm for you, you got a great future. It doesn't cost you anything to do that. It doesn't cost you one red cent, not one dime, to be able to pick up a phone or look him in the eye and, and say those particular things. And there's, there's something about a dad saying it that's totally different than mom saying it or anyone else saying it. It's, it's dad, dad said it. Come on now, you can be encouraged. I'll just be the first one to, and I know you can be encouraged by a lot of people, but if I come up as a pastor and encourage you, it's different. I know that, you know that. There's just something a little bit different because there's a validation that comes through being, being a dad. And dads, we need to learn how to validate. In fact, I heard this, and, and again, take it or leave it, whatever you want, but I've heard that improper male validation between the ages of one and five oftentimes leads to homosexual tendencies that can come later in life. In fact, there's one study that has recently been done that says that homosexuality can be linked to improper, an improper need for male validation. There is something we need even as guys. I know, I know as guys we think we're tough, we don't need anybody, but you would be surprised. I am always surprised at when I sit down and maybe have lunch with people or I sit in my office or catch up with folks in different ways how you can see it and hear it in men, they want another man to say you're doing all right. You're okay. And right now we don't want to say amen, but it's the truth. We all need that. I need that. I guess I'll say it. Everybody needs that kind of validation from their dad. Now, we'll end with this, and I'm done. 2 Kings chapter 2. Why don't you turn there and I'll just tell you the story. 2 Kings chapter 2. Elijah... You know the story, Elijah is about ready to be taken away in a whirlwind. His time on earth is over. And God's going to take him away in a supernatural event in 2 Kings chapter 2. Elijah had grown up around him what the scripture says are the sons of the prophets. Apparently in, in those days there would be a spiritual figure, a prophet in this particular case, that would that would minister and as he would gain experience and age and time and credibility, that there would be younger men that would begin to attach themselves, so to speak, and he would become a spiritual dad to them. And that's how really the ministry was trained in biblical times. You didn't send people off to seminary. You didn't send them off to Bible college. I realize in our minds today, that's how you train for the ministry. In fact, we don't even think it's valid training in some circles unless they go to seminary and get corrupted by a professor that never pastored a day in his life. Sorry. <laughs> but nonetheless, that's how they did it. Why? Because they knew, they knew that something could be transferred. Not only information could be transferred, but modeling could be transferred, exampling could be transferred, mentoring could be transferred. It was apprenticeship that was beginning to take place. And so Elijah has reached the place where his time is almost over. And Elisha, as you'll recall, is the one following him around. And in 2 Kings chapter 2, he tells the sons of the prophets, he says, wait here at Jericho, and I'm going to go on. Doesn't really tell them what's going on, but Elisha knows something's up. And so he begins to follow Elijah. Until finally Elijah says, listen, dude, I told everyone else to wait at Jericho. You don't have to follow me. And Elisha says, I want a double portion of what you got. And this is what, listen to me, this is what Elijah said. He said, you have asked a hard thing. Can I just, can I just share this with you? Double portion anointing, double portion blessing, 
Double portion is not as easy as you running down to an altar and letting me lay hands on you. I mean, that's kind of how we've grown up now in our circles. We think that we can just stumble around and come to an altar and get hands laid on us and, you know, hoot and holler and shundai and off we go. Double portion. Elijah said to Elisha, you've asked a hard thing. You've asked a hard thing. Now, I don't know the time frame. It seems like it wasn't that long, but I don't know that for a fact. But he says, if you, if you see me when I'm taken away, he said, you'll get it. But it's not, believe me, it's not easy. This is what he says to Elisha, basically. He says, you got to follow me to the very end. To the very end. If you want a double portion, you, to the very end. So Elisha does exactly that until finally the moment comes when the chariots of fire show up and the whirlwind. And, and Elijah is sucked up, you know, sucked up into the heavens. And as he's being sucked up into the heavens, the mantle, which is sort of like a, 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 you know, a rug or a, a blanket that he would wear, the, the mantle fell off him. And as Elisha watches Elijah go into the heavens, he, he calls out and cries out, this is what he says, my father, my father. And I've listened to people preach that, and, and they preached it that Elisha was calling out to God. But if you'll look at your Bibles carefully, even the scholars put Father with a small F, not a capital F. Because he wasn't calling out to God. He was watching his spiritual dad being carried away. And later on, when Elisha developed the school of the prophets, there were those who began to look to him in the very same way. And what happened at that particular moment was, as Elijah was carried up in this supernatural, miraculous whirlwind with the chariots of fire. The mantle drops and Elisha picks up the mantle. He literally, at that moment, as he picks up the mantle, he, he picks up his dad's, his spiritual dad's anointing. And he begins to walk back to Jericho where the rest of the sons of the prophets were. And as he gets to the edge there of the river, he takes the mantle and he strikes the river and the, the river splits and the sons of the prophets look at him at that particular moment and the most amazing thing comes out of their mouth. They say, the spirit of Elijah rests on Elisha. In other words, what, what Elijah imparted by way of mantle into Elisha suddenly gets manifested in a real and a tangible way. And this is what's interesting to me, is that one day the fathers will die or the fathers will be carried off and the fathers will pass away. But listen to me right now, the mantle lives forever. Are you hearing what I'm saying? And that's the greatest thing as dads we can leave as a legacy and that is we can leave our mantle. And my question to you, dad, is this, what are you leaving behind? You're not going to be here forever. All of us are, are mere mortals. There's going to be a day that God calls us home. Somehow, someway, all of us are going to be called home. But my question to you is this. What are you leaving behind today? What are you leaving behind? I'm more, than your, more than your portfolios and your stocks and your accounts and all the other junk and stuff, what are you leaving by way of spiritual mantle? So that, so that all the others can look and say, whenever I look at him, I can see his dad. Now, now, for some of us, that's not a compliment. But it ought to be. Whenever I see them, I can see that anointing that came from dad. Would you allow God to restore you to that? That's what the Bible says. That's where we started. That, that there's going to be a restoration of all things spoken of by the prophets. God's going to restore this. The question isn't will God do it? The question is whether or not you'll be in it. He'll do it if you'll open up your heart and let him do that. Would you stand with me this morning, please? Thank you, Lord. I'm going to pray for the dads right now. And this is what I'm going to do. Dad, I know... I know you might not feel thoroughly comfortable with this, but, but just bear with me. You don't have to, I mean, if, 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 if I don't want anyone going out saying, well, pastor made me or whatever, but I want you somehow or another to open yourself up to God. So if, 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 if at the very least you could put your, put your hands out like this,
before the Lord. Dad, I'm, I'm, I'm talking to you. For some of you dads, you may, you may know I need to get everything I can get. But at, least, but at least get in a position where you're ready to receive. Because I'm going to, in just a moment, pray that God will restore you to true spiritual fatherhood. And just, you can just turn your hands up. And just like this to the Lord. And just say, Lord, I, 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 I want to be restored. To be a true father in the house of the Lord. To be a, to be a, a true mentor. Whether, whether I'm officially given some title or position, Lord, that my influence can be of impact. I'm going to pray this in just a moment. So right now, gentlemen, if, if that's you and you want that, then you can just put your hands like this or put them up in the air. But I'm going to pray right now for the dads, right now. Before we end, Father, I ask you right now in Jesus' name. Heavenly Father, you are, you are the ultimate Father. You're the, you're the last stop in all our appeals, in all of our focus. Lord, we come to you because you are the perfect demonstrator of fatherhood. And I pray for the men in this room right now that are dads. I pray right now in Jesus' name. Lord, that you would restore them, that you would restore the years to them with regards to their, their fathering. Lord, some of them are older and all the kids have left and some of them may be younger and have small ones still at home. I, I really don't care at what place they are in their chronological age, but Lord, I would ask this morning that you would restore to them the years. Because we know that life is but a vapor which appeareth for a moment and then it vanishes away. And there's going to be a moment that it's all gone. It's all said and done. And Lord, right now, for the young ones, who's to say that they only have a short time left? And maybe for the older ones, you would extend to them great longevity. Lord, those days are in your hands. All I can pray is that, Lord, you would restore to these men the desire to be true spiritual dads. Lord, I'm sure, because I know in my own life, I can look back and have some regret. I'll tell you what you need to do, Dad, right now. You need to say, you need to say right where you're standing, you need to repent from any regret that you have. If, if, if you've messed up and you did something wrong, you can't just this moment say, I'll do better. You need to repent for the wrongness. Listen to me now, I'm trying to get you free and whole you got to repent for your wrongness and then you can start doing right. Don't just start doing right. You've got to clean up what's happened. Say you're sorry. Ask for forgiveness. Can I just give you some words I learned the other day? I'm going to teach this one day. These are the words that I learned that will save your life. It will save your family. It will save your ministry. It will absolutely save you. Here it is, I think just what, nine or twelve words right here. First one is, I was wrong. I was wrong. The second one is, I don't know. I don't know. The third one is, I need help. I'm amazed at how many dads don't need any help, and I, I, I need all kinds of help. And then the fourth one is, I am sorry. I'm sorry. I guarantee if you, dads, if you'll learn some of those phrases right now. I was wrong. I don't know. I need help. I am sorry. Twelve words that will absolutely change the whole atmosphere of a house. Twelve words. If you will learn those words, if you will, if you will be broken from pride and arrogance... If you will do that, God will move swiftly to restore and to bless and to heal. Oh, please let him do that. Please let him do that. Lord, as unto you, we say right now, there have been things we've done. We were wrong. Lord, we tell you right now, we need help. Lord, we, we tell you right now, I, I don't know. I don't know. Lord, I tell you right now, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Can you start there? And then once you start there, maybe you'll need to go. 
to family members and begin to speak those same words to them. And I think you'll be amazed at how they'll receive you and they'll do their best to help you. But right now, Lord, I pray that as your men in this place have come before you with open hands and arms and hearts, I pray now that you begin to restore these men really to true manhood, to true fatherhood. Lord, that they would arise in this hour and that they would fulfill the words of the prophets that said that the hearts of the fathers would turn to the children and the children to the fathers. Lord, I pray that it would begin to be made manifest in these men here this morning. And that, Lord, we would begin to see with our very own eyes some of those very things take place. And that even a watching world would begin to see it. And, Lord, be strangely drawn to you because of what you're doing in us. Thank you, Lord. I bless, I bless the fathers, Lord, with strength. I bless the fathers with tenacity. I bless the fathers, Lord, with willingness to do what's right before you and to give true godly leadership. I bless them with that in Jesus' name. Lord, cause them, cause your, your men to arise in this hour. Lord, I thank you that you're working that in us. That there is, there is a remnant, there's a group that you're working that in. Thank you, Lord. We receive that in our lives. We receive it in Jesus' name. I want to ask this question before we go now. I just feel like this morning, if you've not made your peace with God the Father, before you can be a good earthly father, you've got to make your peace with God. And we do this, and, and I want people praying right now. Come on now, pray, pray right now. I just want you to begin to intercede because there are probably some folks here that need to make peace with God before you go. And we ask folks to take a step out and just come, and I'll hug your neck because Jesus said, if you'll confess me before men, I'll confess you before my Father. But if you deny me before men, I'll deny you before the Father. So we just feel like you ought not just slip in, slip out, but you ought to make a quality choice and decision in your life that you want to follow the Lord. And you just ought to suck it up and be a man or be a woman. And before you go, just say, I, I want to get right. I've lived for the devil. I've lived for him publicly. I've lived waywardly publicly. Everybody has watched me live my life absolutely publicly. It's time now you publicly said, I'm living for Jesus. I'm living for him. I'm living all out. Come on now. He publicly, he publicly sacrificed for you. It's really pretty easy. So if you'd like to, come on right now. Right now. I'd ask you right now. If that's you, just come on and join me right now. I'm going to pray for you before we go. If you'd like to open up your heart, get right with God right now. Just come on and join me. Slip out. We're going to take just another moment. Just another moment. Thank you, Lord. People are praying for you. We're just going to tarry just another moment. Just another moment. It's the most important thing we do. Well, Father, thank you this morning that your Holy Spirit's working on us. You're moving upon us, touching us. And I ask, oh God, right now that we would not escape these moments when you're doing important, deep spiritual things in our life. Lord, I don't know who you are knocking, whose heart door you may have been knocking on. I don't know. I'm glad that's in your arena and not mine. But I pray, Lord, that you would cause their heart to be soft towards the things of God. Help them to know that you love them and you care about them. And more than anything, you want to do something unique and special in their life. Thank you, Lord, that, that the work is not finished this morning, but your spirit goes with us and continues it all through this day. And so, Lord, I just speak a blessing to that in Jesus' name. Lord, cause people this week just to see you and know you in a brand new way. I just pray, Lord, you bless your people. Lord, cause them to be of influence, whether they're men or whether they're women. Lord, let them, let them begin to be of influence in other people's lives. Let them let them be a part of what they're needing to see so they ultimately see you. And Lord, we give you thanks for that. Cause us to come back in the middle of the week 
for a good time as well. In Jesus' mighty name we pray, amen. Come on now, let's give the Lord a big hand. Amen. Amen. Now dads, don't forget, we got a little gift for you before you go. Fellowship with each other, greet each other. I hope to see you back in the middle of the week. We have a great time Wednesday at 6.30. Carol wins 7.15 in the morning. God bless you. You are released.